mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, not even a global pandemic can slow us down. Findlay has been named America's top micropolitan community for an unprecedented ninth year in a row. We speak with Economic Development Director Dan Schaefer. Also this morning, to your health, March is National Colorectal Cancer Awareness Month. It really doesn't have to be the second leading cause of cancer death. In our Throwback Thursday segment this morning, she did it. Inspiring and empowering future generations through the stories of women who changed America and the world in honor of Women's History Month. And happening around town, it's always a flippin' good time. We have details on this year's Kiwanis Pancake Day. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Thursday, March 2nd, 2023. So yesterday was the start of meteorological spring. Uh, The calendar says spring is 18 days away, but today is actually the first day of spring because it is our first spring training broadcast, uh, first spring training Guardians game on the radio. That's when we know that spring is is actually here. Uh, so speaking of which, do you have a favorite time of year? Would it be spring? Would it be summertime? Would it be autumn? Or would it be winter? A recent survey of 15,000 U.S. adults uh, finds that the most hated month of the year, <laughs> the most hated month of the year is January. 26% of Americans say that it is their least favorite month. February comes in second at 21%. Well, thank goodness we're past that. So we can say we are done with the worst part of the year. And we can say that with some confidence, according to this survey. The best months, which I thought was uh, kind of interesting, um, what would you guess would be the the best month? You have to ask the best month of the year. 12% picked December. Which, I guess, makes sense. You've got Christmas and and all of that. The holiday season, everybody is in a joyous mood, right? Uh, So 12% is time, great memories and family and all of that. So I I get that. 15% said October. That was actually number one of the best month month of the year. I don't think it, it can't be Halloween, can it? I mean, I know a lot of people love Halloween, but... I was just a little surprised that it was uh, October as opposed to, I would have guessed maybe the summertime months or maybe September, but October was a surprise to me. Uh, As for the seasons of the year, those polled were, it was basically an even split. Um, 30% chose spring, 30% chose summer, 30% chose fall, but only 10% picked winter as their favorite season so <laughs> not a huge uh, surprise there either but uh i thought that was kind of interesting by the way speaking of spring you're planning your spring break vacation or your summer getaway well if you are thinking of renting an airbnb for your travel plans you better be careful who you associate with Airbnb, uh, apparently, apparently for some people, they're guilty by association when it comes to Airbnb. The popular short-term rental site is reportedly banning people if they are closely associated with someone who is banned. Now, you can get put in Airbnb jail if you are a bad renter. And if something goes wrong, you break something or... Uh, you disobey rules at an Airbnb or something like that, um, you can be banned. And now they are restricting who can rent an Airbnb. Uh, You can be banned if you are closely associated with someone who is banned. Um, Now, it it may or may not be a permanent ban. Those who are banned, if your friend successfully appeals their own ban you can be let out of Airbnb jail as well. Or uh, you can be unbanned if you can prove you are not, in fact, close with said banned member. Does that make sense? Airbnb confirmed this practice and uh, claims that they have discovered that it is a necessary safety precaution 
as the band member in question could travel with a friend and uh, their band have to keep them out. Uh, One user found herself banned after using her boyfriend's credit card. So that flagged her and she got booted off while she does. It says while she does not have a criminal record, her boyfriend does. And so that uh, landed her in Airbnb jail. So be careful who your friends are. If you're thinking of renting an Airbnb this spring or summer. So uh, this is among the among the first things you need to know this morning, the most interesting and buzzworthy stories we'd like to start with the uh, program with. Saw this story on the uh, Newswire. The, apparently, there is a movement to revive the Equal Rights Amendment. Remember the ERA from back in the 70s? Uh, it was passed by Congress in 1972, failed to get the required ratification of 38 states in order to become an amendment to the Constitution would guarantee equal rights under the law to women. Well, apparently there is a move to revive the ERA and the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops is none too happy about it. Uh, They have published a letter warning their members or warning members of the U.S. Senate to vote against a revival of the Equal Rights Amendment. Um, The bishops argue that modern interpretations of the ERA would legally restrain states from placing restrictions on abortion services. So that's it's not that they have uh, an issue with uh, uh, treating women equally in principle. It's the whole abortion issue that uh, but uh, for some, it's not a good look, but that's what they're opposed to. I thought that was kind of interesting. Um. This speaking of interesting stories, uh, this story on the uh, on the newswire I found to be rather interesting. Gasoline consumption is declining in the U.S. That's probably not a surprise. We're driving more alternative fuel vehicles. Read that electric vehicles, EVs, and uh, the change it says here in gasoline consumption could signal a trend in a new direction for the oil industry. One analyst tells. Yahoo Finance, Andy Lipow said that demand for gasoline peaked between 2017 and 2019. So the peak demand in all of history is 2017 to 2019. And then the pandemic came along and that caused a precipitous decline in gasoline consumption. And it is still not returned to those pre-pandemic levels. And it's not just because of the proliferation of electric vehicles, although that certainly has something to do with it. It also has to do with the fact that many older Americans have retired. Many younger employees are determined to work at home more frequently and commute less frequently, thus less gasoline. And, of course, uh, EV sales. Um, And you add all of that up, he says it is a permanent change in American oil consumption. So I guess it's not a big surprise. I just found it rather interesting. Uh, Let's see. A couple of other uh, interesting items among the first things you need to know this morning. So they found him. They found him. Uh, You remember this was a follow-up. This is a follow-up to a follow-up that we had a few days ago. Uh, We mentioned that, okay, uh, let me kind of start at the beginning. You remember several months ago the story, I don't know, several months, several weeks ago. Anyway, some time back there was the story of the guy who was rescued after being lost at sea, and he said that he survived by eating ketchup packets (laughs) that they had on board the boat. He was stranded on a a boat that had lost power. He had no radio communication or anything. He'd been adrift at sea. And he had uh, survived by by eating ketchup packets. Um, So the Heinz company decided they wanted to track this guy down. They wanted to find this guy because they had the opportunity. They smelled the opportunity to use this for publicity purposes. But they were having trouble tracking him down. Uh, They couldn't find this guy uh, despite their best efforts. And so... It led me to wonder aloud, 
whether or not this was legit, whether it was on the up and up or whether this whole thing had been a prank or a joke or, you know, something. Uh, But apparently they have now found the guy after thousands of messages and shares on social media. Heinz has finally been able to catch up, (laughs) get it, with Elvis Francois. Uh, It says here, a man who survived at sea for nearly a month by eating ketchup. Mr. Francois rationed the condiment until he was finally rescued and his story uh, went viral. Heinz put out a search on social media for this guy in order to, because they wanted to buy him a brand new boat. (laughs) That was, that was their, they're going to buy him a brand new boat. And of course, cash in on the publicity. Well, uh, Mr. Francois was finally found on the Caribbean island of Dominica. And Heinz has been in contact with the man who will provide a boat and additional support for him and his family. So uh, he doesn't have to worry about having to survive on ketchup alone from now on. So happy ending to that story. And finally, among the first things that you need to know this morning, the most interesting and buzzworthy stories of the day, I don't know about your circle of friends, but it seems like among my circle of friends, whenever I log on like Facebook, uh, I am inundated with people complaining about self-checkouts. It it seems like this is, (laughs) at least among the people uh, that I am connected with on social media, it seems like this is the end of modern society as we know it. This is the breakdown of society. (laughs) This will be the collapse of society is self-checkouts. And I know a lot of people do not like, so personally, I don't mind it. But I know that there are a lot of people who are vehemently opposed to the idea of self-checkouts. So here is good news. And this is the story. Although the devices are becoming more commonplace in many grocery stores, do not expect to see self-checkout kiosks at Trader Joe's. According to news reports, the store's official podcast, um, in the store's official podcast, Trader Joe's Vice President of Marketing, Tara Miller, vows, and I'm quoting here, while other retailers are cutting staff and adding things like self-checkout, curbside pickup, and outsourcing delivery options, we are hiring more crew and we continue to do that. Uh, She says, the bottom line here is that our people remain our most valued resource, unquote. And the reasons behind that strategy, while a a laser scanner can look up the price of your item, it still can't tell you where to find a given product, nor offer a friendly smile from its cashiers. And a good personality is a prerequisite for Trader Joe's employees. So if you hate self-checkout, then Trader Joe's is your place. Only problem is, (laughs) only problem, of course, is the nearest Trader Joe's would be Columbus or Ann Arbor or Fort Wayne, the nearest Trader Joe's to us. So, I mean, if you're willing to drive for your groceries, (laughs) there you go. If you are that determined to uh, never use a self-checkout, never see a self-checkout, Trader Joe's is your place, but you're up for a drive. There you go. Some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Thursday morning started. WFIN News. I'm Matt Demchek. Your WTOL 11 weather. Partly to mostly cloudy today, a high of 46. Mostly cloudy tonight, a low of 33. Finley has again been ranked as the top micropolitan community in the country. We asked Finley Hancock County Economic Development Director Dan Schaefer how they've won this award now for the ninth year in a row. How we do it is how we've always done it. It's relationships, it's stakeholder engagement, having really good relationships with the business community, great relationships with the county and the city, and getting them all to the table and talking. Micropolitan Award is based on job creation, new construction, and capital investment. Get more of our conversation with Dan about the award on our website. A new effort underway to combat human trafficking in the Buckeye State involves an Ohio health care company. 
The Ohio Attorney General's office is teaming up with Mount Carmel Health System to train health care workers to know the signs of human trafficking. 88% of human trafficking survivors come in contact with the health care system at some point. Survivors help put the training videos together. This training program will be used in hospitals across the state. Healthcare workers will learn what to do and what to ask when they think that someone may be a human trafficking victim. I'm Tracy Townsend. Transferring from a community college to another school can have difficult hurdles, but Heidelberg University is making the process easier. Now, students pursuing 13 degrees at Heidelberg can transfer from any accredited community college in Ohio or Michigan and can earn their bachelor's in 60 credit hours or two years. Heidelberg leaders say this is part of a new focus to not only make it easier to get into a four-year program, but to reward those students who have already accomplished a college goal. WTOL 11's John Monk reporting. A section of a Finley Street has reopened following a major project by American Electric Power. The utility's Central Finley Improvements Project involves the construction of about a mile of underground transmission line in downtown Findlay. A section of Beach Avenue had been closed for quite a while as crews installed a riser pull in that area to connect the underground line with the existing overhead power line. That section of Beach Avenue near the Hancock County Board of Elections is now back open to traffic. Remember, you can always get more news online at WFIN.com. So our cover story this morning, it is the lead story in the news. By now, I'm sure you have heard it became official yesterday. Findlay has once again been named the top micropolitan community in the country by Site Selection Magazine for an unprecedented ninth year in a row. Yesterday, just after the news was made public, we spoke at length with Economic Development Director Dan Schaefer. I have to admit that there were times over the past couple of years when I wondered if the pandemic might be the thing that finally broke this streak. Did it turn out to not have that much of an impact, or has it been a case of a falling tide lowering all boats? Uh, thanks for having me on, Chris. Uh, it's a good question. Uh, I think we saw fairly robust activity during COVID. Uh, a lot of our companies are trying to figure out if they were essential or not, and we, we were able to help them do that and discover that. Uh, but at the same time, um, investment in expansions and more specifically in automation happened quite a bit during COVID and post-COVID. So uh, while you might think it counterintuitive, we were very busy. Hmm. What is impressive and what's always been impressive to me about this designation is the fact that it is not subjective. It is based on uh, documented empirical data, not just a panel of experts in a room kind of playing favorites. That's that's correct. Um, so, yeah, three criteria uh, that are looked at every single year. Uh, and by the way, uh, Finley was ranked uh, among 400, excuse me, 543 uh, communities of our size, between 10,000 and 50,000 across the U.S., and that was based on capital investment over a million dollars, uh, 20,000 square feet constructed or more, 20 jobs created or more. And so that resulted last year in approximately $300 million of capital investment, mm. almost 300,000 square feet constructed, and approximately 1,100 net new jobs created. And it's also about more than just who has the land available, who has the space for these projects, who can put together the best incentive packages. I mean, we've talked in the past about the quote-unquote Findlay formula. People have heard that term before, which includes continued infrastructure investment on the part of the community, workforce development programs, uh, and attention paid to the quality of life in the community, and so on and so forth. So there are a lot of other intangible things that contribute to this. That, that's a fair statement. And you mentioned the Finley formula. Uh, it's really an intentional approach to development. Uh, call it relationships. I like to refer to it as stakeholder engagement. Uh, that when the office works with a developer on a particular project, it could be residential, it could be industrial, it could be commercial or office, whoever in the community is going to touch that project, whether it be civil engineering, county engineering, city engineering, uh, energy, gas, electric, uh, sustainable power, uh, you name it, regional planning, whoever's going to touch that project, sit across the table from the developer 
and the company to answer every bit of their questions before they leave. Um, and, th- and they come to town and they look at that, Chris, and they, they wonder why all these people are in the room. Uh, and after the end of an hour or two hour meeting, they understand why everybody's in the room. That's what we call the, uh, the Finley formula or stakeholder engagement. So the ninth year in a row, but the first under your leadership, it's got to feel good to kind of start off on the right foot. Well, that's, that's a fair statement. But at the same time, uh, Tim Miley, who has not been gone too long, and people ask me all the time, do you ever see Tim? Well, I, I see Tim just about every day and talk to him almost every day. Uh, in fact, what he's doing with the Center for Advanced Manufacturing uh, with University of Finley, Bowling Green State University, and Owens Community College is really a resource multiplier for economic development offices like mine. But yeah, it's it's fun. Uh, it's good to have that uh, feather in your cap, so to speak. Uh, but he was here for uh, eight or nine of those months, and uh, we worked as a team to get it done. And I, I certainly don't want to take away from uh, his contributions or the contributions of uh, any of your predecessors in, in getting us to this point. Uh, but I say that uh, because... I, how valuable is this designation in selling Findlay to prospective developers and investors? I mean, to put it into a perspective that maybe people can understand, there there's a reason why uh, the Ohio States and the Alabamas of the world are always among the top college football programs because the best players want to go to the place that they're going to have the greatest chance of being successful. Kind of the same thing here? It is an intangible thing, I think. But yes, to your point, uh, I know that our Visitors Bureau, I know that the Chamber of Commerce, uh, I know that our office, and you can pick a number of businesses that use this to recruit. Uh, it's really a, a hill you can plant a flag on. Um, and we get uh, calls all the time requesting information about the community, uh, wanting to know the amenities, um, the environment for development, the business climate. And we can point to the past nine years now and share that with them. And it's really an eye opener when they see that. And so, yes, we leverage that every single time it happens. And to that point, I drive around town even today and you see a lot of construction going on right now that are some of the projects that will hopefully be part of an eventual top micropolitan designation for the 10th year in a row. No signs of slowing down. No signs of slowing down, but, uh, we try to catch ourselves when we talk about the number 10. Uh, it's something that we don't count on. It's something we don't even look at. Um, it's almost a bad mojo to do that. Uh, <laughs> we, we work every day. We work every week. Um, and we tally it up at the end of the year. And and so far, so good. So it's a little bit of superstition there. But, but yes, you're right. You drive around town and see some of these projects coming out of the ground. Uh, in most cases, these are projects that we worked on out of the office, and they may have started a year and a half, two years ago. Mm-hmm. And so by the time they're coming out of the ground, we're already five miles down the road working on the next project. With respect to that, though, when uh, again, when people see some of the uh, construction that's going on now and some of the expansion that's going on now, what are some of those kind of for the benefit of those who are looking around and seeing these things, especially as we get into the warmer weather and spring and and so on? Uh, what are the big uh, the big projects uh, that that are, are happening right now? Kind of tell us a little bit about what is going on out there at the moment. Well, one of our largest initiatives uh, is workforce, and related to that is residential development, Chris. Um, you might not notice it driving around, but we have probably 15, 16 major uh, residential projects going on in and around the community from single family to um, multifamily, 55 and over senior family, what you might refer to as affordable housing. You name it, uh, when the shovel goes in the ground, the leases are being signed and the mortgages are being let. Uh, we cannot build them fast enough. And the reason that we're doing that is we want more of the population that commutes to Finley every single day, of which there are about 25,000 every single day. We'd like more of them to live here. And that's how you organically grow your community in a smart way. Um, the interchange at I-75 I, uh, and County Road 99 uh, will be going out to bid uh, later this year and into early next year. Uh, with construction starting in late 24, that will be a game changer on County Road 99 at I-75 with the amount of truck traffic, associate traffic coming and going at that interchange. Uh, that will be a safety factor and an efficiency factor that we have not had for a long time. So that would be another example. 
Uh, we're working quite a bit on infrastructure projects and, and, and partnering with the uh, the county and, and the city of Finley, actually talking to several of the villages uh, south of town and northwest of town who are uh, having water issues, sanitary issues. Uh, we're looking at a bigger picture than just Finley, Ohio. It, it's really the, the regional community in the county as well. That That is a, a good point, and I, I suppose it's also worth bringing up. I mean, this is a designation for Findlay as top micropolitan community, but you see this as more than just uh, the city itself, the city proper? Oh, absolutely, Chris. Um, and, and this has come to the, to the table here just recently with regard to annexations uh, and a few other things going on uh, with the city of Findlay. Uh, we are an organic whole, if I can use that term. Uh, and working with the villages and the township trustees uh, to bring them to the table, along with the city of Finley and with the county commissioners, uh, to, to have alignment in their conversation. Um, and alignment, and again, like point back to the Finley formula and stakeholder engagement, you start with a large community challenge that any one group cannot handle by themselves, bring them all to the table, and you begin that process of building trust at the table. And that can take 12 months, that can take 24 months, but it all starts with a conversation. And I like to see that our office, the Finley Hancock County Economic Development Office, as the convener and facilitator of those conversations. Again, Economic Development Director Dan Schaefer with us this morning. Finley named the top micropolitan community in the country by Site Selection Magazine for a ninth year in a row. Dan, thanks very much for taking the time and kind of putting all of this in perspective for us. Good to be with you, Chris. Thank you. Well, to your health this morning, March is National Colorectal Cancer Awareness Month. It is the second leading cause of cancer deaths, and there's really no reason this needs to be, because with early screening, it is among the most highly treatable forms of the disease. Dr. Cedric McFadden is with us this morning on behalf of the Colorectal Cancer Alliance. And Dr. McFadden, I wonder if perhaps not enough people take this seriously. I mean, knowing that uh, it's often talked about, and we were just saying it's highly treatable, people may hear that and sort of mistranslate it as nothing to really worry about. You're absolutely correct. And it still remains the second leading cause of cancer death in the United States. Uh, and by 2030, it's estimated or projected to be the number one cause of cancer-related death in those under the age of 50. Mm. Um, and it, again, if we find these cancers early, uh, it has a greater than 90% survival rate. And so that's why we're here today, to encourage people to get screened so we can't prevent future cancer. That is really such a tragedy that it is 90% uh, effective, the treatment is 90% effective, and yet it is the second largest uh, second uh, largest killer and, and growing. Does this have any symptoms that folks can be on the lookout for? So there may be some symptoms. Symptoms like bleeding, changes in your bowel habits, abdominal discomfort, unexplained weight loss, weakness, or fatigue. But here's the key. Symptoms don't always come with colorectal cancer. In fact, if you have a small polyp that's growing to become a tumor that becomes a cancer, uh, you may not have any symptoms at all. So we don't want you to have symptoms be the reason why you get tested. We want you to get screened before you have symptoms because if you have symptoms, it could mean that the tumor or cancer is larger and then more difficult to treat. Uh, also joining us this morning, and I want to bring you into the conversation, Karen Woomer. She is a colorectal cancer patient and patient advocate. Karen, tell us the story of your diagnosis. Yes, Chris. I When I was the recommended age for screening, I my primary care physician suggested a colonoscopy. I have no family history, and I was like one of those patients that Dr. McFadden mentioned, no symptoms. And so I actually put off my colonoscopy for a year, and I regret that because, as you can imagine, to my shock, when I did have my colonoscopy, they found polyps that were cancerous. And after I got over that initial diagnosis of colon cancer, mm -hmm. I got fired up, and I decided to make my story very public and influence as many people as I could to get screened so they could you know, prevent going through what I was about to go through and, and you know, really um, doing everything they could to be proactive with preventing this highly 
uh, preventable cancer. Yeah, obviously, when something like this hits home, it's easy to become a very vocal proponent of colorectal cancer screening. So I had treatment for four months and really a good distraction and a good tactic for me to not think so much about my treatment (laughs) was to influence as many people as I could. And I'm proud to say that within my network of influence and using social media to share my story and encourage others, almost 100 people were screened during that period of time. And certainly a number I'm super proud of, but I'm here today. And the biggest reason I'm here is to grow that number exponentially and encourage people to go to get screen.org. It's a website that the Colorectal Cancer Alliance has produced, and it allows people to quickly, through a survey, identify the right screening tools for them based on their risk factors. So let me use that to kind of segue to you, Dr. McFadden. Talk a little bit about uh, what a check for colorectal cancer looks like, when and how people should get checked, and so on. Well, again, we're going to begin that testing at 45 or sooner based on those risk factors that we're going to get from GetScreen.org. But the screening options uh, can include, historically, people think of a colonoscopy. Right. It's a 30-minute outpatient procedure. uh, It gives you a great nap. uh, And we look at the entire (laughs) colon looking for polyps or anything that's abnormal. But here's the key. Some people aren't going to have a colonoscopy, or some people aren't going to be able to have a colonoscopy. So there are other options we fortunately have that can involve stool-based testing or other tests that you send in through the mail. Um, and so knowing all, all those options gives the power to you, gives the power to the patient to make use of any prevention to prevent colorectal cancer. And just as a bit of a sidebar on all of this, um, as folks have noticed, Karen is a woman. Is that uh, also one of the um, uh, kind of headwinds or the things that we need to emphasize is that this is not just men, that, that women uh, are at risk as well? Oh, no, no. This is this is not a woman's disease. This is not a male's disease. Right. This is all of our disease. Yeah. And so uh, anyone at any age can be affected by this. And there are people that have higher risk, uh, such as having family history or African-Americans have a higher risk. A 20% higher risk of being diagnosed, 35% higher risk of dying from the disease, but this disease can strike any of us. Karen, let me ask you uh, as well, because you were mentioning the uh, website just a moment ago, talk a little bit about the support that is there for uh, patients and their family members, their caregivers, to kind of help them navigate uh, this whole process. Yes, the Colorectal Cancer Alliance has recently launched an amazing new platform called bluehq.org, and that website is really geared specifically for colorectal cancer patients, their caregivers, and survivors, and it aligns phenomenal and unique resources that really are tailored to, to an individual patient's need. It's a great platform. But you don't need to um, have had you know, colon cancer to encourage other people to get involved. There's many ways out there that the Alliance has created. There's actually something fun coming up on March 26th. It's called Scope It Out, and it's a virtual 5K fundraiser that really is helping raise awareness about screening. So once again, uh, let me have you uh, share all of the information on where folks can find those resources. So I encourage everyone to go to get screened.org for determining what the appropriate screening is based on your risk factors. If you have been recently diagnosed with colon cancer, bluehq.org is a fantastic website for an amazing amount of resources. Again, Dr. Cedric McFadden and uh, Karen Woomer with us on behalf of the Colorectal Cancer Alliance. Thank you both for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks, Chris. And now to our Throwback Thursday segment this morning. The month of March is Women's History Month. And what better way to start than with Caldecott Medal winning author Emily Arnold McCulley and her book, She Did It, 21 Women Who Changed the Way We Think. Back in March of 2019, we spoke to her about that book and the way its stories can inspire and empower the next generation. It is today's Throwback Thursday segment.
Emily, talk about the uh, inspiration for this uh, collection here. Well, I am tremendously inspired by what we're seeing around us now, which I think is a third wave of feminism. <laughs> and I wanted, well, there are more opportunities for, for women than ever before. Right. And uh, more women in positions of real leadership in government and the professions mm-hmm. and the arts and sciences and sports than ever before. And I wanted young people to know how that foundation was laid by the second wave and the first wave. So this is a collection of 20th century women that children, for the most part, cannot read about in other books. They're, so they're, they're lesser-known figures, but ones who really changed history. And we need to be reminded of them, and I hope that young people will be inspired to carry the fight forward after they read the book. So there are, the and, and in reality, of course, there are scores of women with stories that you could have included in the book, but it's interesting you mentioned, uh, in particular, you chose to highlight some of those lesser-known stories. Who are some of the women that you profiled and why? Well, the book begins with, with a couple of women who were born in the last quarter, or I guess the last half, actually, of the 19th century, but they still did their most of their work in the 20th century, and that is Jane Addams, who was a social worker, in effect, who, who founded a settlement house for immigrants in Chicago that was hugely influential. It was a time when immigration was massive, and there was nothing being done to help immigrants. Mm-hmm. Uh, she went on to win the Nobel Peace Prize. Ida Tarbell was an investigative journalist, one of the muckrakers who exposed the uh, the monopoly of Standard Oil and was eventually broken up because of her articles. And these two women, when they were alive, were the most famous women in America. Yeah. So they sort of stand for what happened. Uh, they made such changes that the, that nobody remembers them now. Yeah. Um, Isadora Duncan started, founded Modern Dance. Rachel Carson ignited the environmental movement. Mm. Ethel Andrus founded AARP uh, when, when growing old was an incredibly grim prospect for people. Yeah. And she transformed it. So that's a few of them. Uh, how difficult was it to narrow this down to the 21 who made the cut? Like we said, there are scores of women uh, that you could have included. How difficult was it to, to whittle that down? Well, it was really tough. Uh, I had, uh, you know, personal favorites that I realized I couldn't put in because uh, it would have upset the balance. I wanted the the diversity to be honored in this Mm -hmm. book so that they are representatives of different ethnicities and, and of course, different professions. Yeah. Uh, And hopefully, maybe... uh you know, along those same lines, this will inspire uh, young girls, especially, to to go out and and learn more about these stories and the other stories that are out there, because there are so many of them that we just don't know. Um, there are some common characteristics that all of these women share, despite their very different stories, the different uh, ethnicities, as you mentioned, the different uh, areas of study, um, their specialties, and that kind of thing, the different eras. There are some common characteristics here. Well, they were all brilliant. They were all passionate. They all uh, followed ideas through, you know, overcame difficulties, overcame defeats, and and persisted. Um, And I did find, finally, that, that almost every one of them, when she was very young, decided in her mind and even articulated it that she wanted to make a difference mm-hmm. that she wanted to lead a life of purpose as most of them put it you know something you mentioned uh, earlier about this current age that we live in uh, kind of shaping up to be the the third wave of feminism and that word sometimes has uh, takes on a political uh, connotation it strikes me that this is less political and more inspirational but uh, but to that point, it is interesting that you put it that way because I think some people almost see this as a, an era unto itself. You you view this as what we are seeing now building upon uh, past uh, milestones, past successes for women uh, in yes. that you know in that uh, drive for equality. Yes, I do, and um, and it, uh, actually that has to be true because we're not there yet. We do not have gender equality, right? And which uh, 
you know, it is political, but it doesn't mean taking anything away from men. It means simply um, opening things up completely for women and letting them realize their full potential. Well, and I, I guess the reason I bring that up is because I think the the point has been raised in some uh, in some circles is that you know here again we have this women's empowerment movement, but we saw that in the seventies and we've seen it in the past. And what makes this different? It's not so much that it's different uh, it, the way you're looking at it is it's it's more one building on top of the other. Yes, and uh, somebody recently, Judith Shulevitz, a writer, uh, likened uh, feminism to the dodo running the caucus race in Alice in Wonderland. You take two steps forward, you run around in circles, you forget where you are, and you start all over again. And, and the forgetting where you are part is what I wanted to make sure wouldn't happen yeah. by writing this book, well, that young people will not forget where they are. They'll see what the march of history looks like. And, and realize that, that uh, we can't let go of what we have because that has happened over and over in the past. Yeah, and, and as you say, there are still uh, a ways to go. So with that in mind, how do we, and I guess this is one way, you know, this book is, is one uh, small way uh, of I- empowering young women to take those next steps in the generations to come. Exactly. Knowledge is power. And this, this uh, is a book of knowledge. It's, it's really thorough biographies and bibliography and so on. Um, I also would urge young people to, to study hard, to, to find a passion and be the best they can at it. Uh, I think doing sports is really important mm-hmm. um, because fair play and competition and, and teamwork are all tools for using power uh, well. Again, Emily Arnold McCulley is author of the new book, She Did It, 21 Women Who Changed the Way We Think. Uh, again, a great way to uh, kick off Women's History Month in the month of March. And again, what I love about this is that there are so many great stories that uh, may otherwise be forgotten to history. And, and you know, many people would just be hearing about these for the very first time. Where do we get to more information about the book? Well, there's a website, aarp.com slash she did it. Uh, I have a website, emilyarnoldmcculley.com, and people can buy the book anywhere books are sold. I hope they'll go to an independent bookstore if there is one nearby. Even better if that bookstore is women-owned. So we'll, <laughs> we'll, put, that in. Yeah. we'll put that in there. Uh, Emily Arnold McCulley, thanks very much for uh, taking the time this morning. We appreciate it. Thank you so much. Again, from uh, March of 2019, our conversation with Emily Arnold McCulley, author of She Did It, 21 Women Who Changed the Way We Think. We've got the link up at our webpage. Go to goodmornings.net for more about the book, our Throwback Thursday segment this morning. Information that makes a difference. Good Mornings with Chris Oaks on 1330 WFIN, WFIN.com and 95.5 FM. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. So how did a sweet potato help crack a 12-year-old cold case in Massachusetts? Allow me to explain. Officials are able to use DNA from a sweet potato to arrest a suspect 12 years after the crime was committed. Todd Lampley was shot in a Massachusetts home in 2011 and shell casings along with a sweet potato were recovered from outside a bedroom window. <laughs> I just that that's just so random. I mean, you would expect in a shooting to find shell casings, but a sweet potato rec- recovered from outside the bedroom window. Police suspect the potato was used as a silencer in the crime. Oh, okay. Um, the uh, suspect, Devarius Hampton, uh, apparently was caught, uh, spitting on the sidewalk in 2016 while he was under, because they'd always been a suspect, but they didn't have any hard evidence. So while the cops were tailing him, he spit on the sidewalk and they, uh, I guess took a sample of his phlegm to compare with the DNA on the potato. <laughs> so now they have their man. <laughs> 12 years after the fact. <laughs> That's crazy. But uh, sweet potato. Things solve the crime. <clears throat> Elsewhere in the broken news. Odd and unusual side of the headlines. 
uh, a little bit of excitement at JFK International Airport the other day. Uh, apparently, a man allegedly stole an American Airlines bus from JFK, drove it all the way from Queens to Manhattan to Brooklyn. Luckily, no passengers were on the bus that was taken from Lot 12 on Wednesday. The suspect stopped in... Uh, the suspect stop was arrested at uh, Cadman Plaza West and Middaw Street. Uh, police say the suspect has been arrested for other crimes not related to and not similar to the bus theft. But <laughs> and these transit bus from JFK. Uh, just an odd thing to steal, I think. That's just a little weird. Um, elsewhere in the broken news... A Louisiana woman is under arrest for allegedly selling drugs out of her ice cream truck, which was actually a converted school bus. Cops in suburban Narlands pulled over the bus earlier this week for expired tags and no brake lights. Inside, now this was supposed to be an ice cream truck. What they found inside was a bunch of melted ice cream in the freezer and a huge stash of meth. So they're thinking that's probably what she was really selling. Tamisha Morin, who ran Tammy's Ice Cream and Sweet Treats, <laughs> was arrested and the truck was impounded. Uh, police do not believe any children were exposed to the drugs. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, talk about uh, police getting a surprise. Cops were in for a shock when they searched a young man who was caught drunk with two of his friends at an archaeological site in western Peru. Inside his backpack, his cooler bag, they found an ancient mummy believed to be somewhere around six to 800 years old. The mummy was in his cooler bag. It was cowered in the fetal position. The 26-year-old individual with the mummy in his bag, Julio Cesar Bermeo, uh, explained that the mummy was his spiritual girlfriend, which he said he had named Juanita. <laughs> he, said, he said, at home, she's in my room, she sleeps with me, I take care of her. Okay. Um, yeah, that's a little weird. Oh, and uh, experts say the mummy was male. So there's that. <laughs> wow. Mm. Man. wonder if his friends were aware of this odd behavior. Anyway, uh, did you happen to see this? This is there's I'm sure there's video of this, right? I have not seen it, but I've, there's got to be video. Fans at the... Louisville, Virginia Tech basketball game got a surprise earlier this week when a dog, a frisbee-catching dog that was providing halftime entertainment, (laughs) had a sudden urge to relieve himself and uh, did number two right there on the court at halftime. Uh, so it was a little more entertainment than they bargained for at the KFC Yum Center. Uh, howls and applause from the basketball fans <laughs> as the dog performed his uh, <clears throat> other trick. Uh, Louisville, by the way, went on to lose the game, 71-54. Some have interpreted the dog's behavior as a commentary on Louisville's abysmal season so far. They're 4-26 and on the year, so... <laughs> Said it was a it was appropriate. <laughs> and finally, in the uh, broken news this morning, see what you think about this. The latest online conversation. You know, the general rule at a wedding is only the bride wears a wedding dress. I guess that kind of goes without saying. But a man who broke that cardinal rule is now wondering if he is really in the wrong. So this is a story that was posted on Reddit. A 19-year-old man from Australia explained that a female friend of his who recently got engaged invited him 
to a celebratory party to celebrate their engagement. It was supposed to be, as he understood it, a costume party to celebrate their engagement. So he thought it would be funny to go dressed as Emily from The Corpse Bride. Maybe you're familiar with it. So he smeared himself in blue paint, put on his wedding dress, and apparently the whole outfit was a hit with the other costumed guests. But about 10 minutes in, he said, my friend's fiance walked out in a black tuxedo and announced that this wasn't an engagement party. It was actually their wedding. And it was a surprise to everybody there. Apparently, uh, the bride had seen a video of someone doing this and wanted to do the same. So uh, this guy, because he's in a wedding dress, uh, quickly asked uh, his friend's fiance if he should go home and change. But uh, the groom said, no, no big deal. You didn't know it was a wedding. It's not a big deal. But apparently, it was a big deal. After the bride avoided this guy during the reception, she apparently blew up a few hours later, accusing him of ruining her big day. She said it was basic knowledge that you're not supposed to wear a wedding dress to a wedding. He said, I reminded her that I had no idea it was the wedding. That was the surprise. And I asked, and he pointed out that he asked her now husband if he should change. And he said it was fine. So... So now the husband and the is in hot water with the wife, and uh, the uh, two are fighting over this now. He said, "How how should I have known through this uh, whole thing? Apparently, the couple have now blocked this guy and have uh, cut off all ties. And the uh, story storyteller is wondering if he was kind of the jerk in this whole situation. Uh, other users on Reddit." have largely sided with him, saying that he wasn't. That's a a crazy conundrum, isn't it? Goes to an engagement party, turns out to be the wedding. Oops. Uh, I got to think that the the couple is in the wrong uh, for this. Uh, They were the ones that sprung the wedding on their unsuspecting party guests. There you go. Uh, That is today's broken news report, an update on the On an unusual side of the headlines, we now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Ever wonder what being a Findlay Rotarian is all about? I'm Angela Dabosky, CEO of the United Way of Hancock County. Being a Rotarian offers meaningful connections with community leaders and to what's going on in organizations across Hancock County. To become part of an organization that brings together business, professional leaders to provide community service and advance goodwill, all part of a worldwide service club, contact Findlay Rotary at FindlayRotary.org and click on Join. This message provided by WFIN. Time now for your daily download, the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. Inflation has been hard on everyone and apparently even the tooth fairy. Last year, a single tooth placed under a child's pillow earned that kid an average, are you ready for this, $5.36 on average. $5.36. I remember I'd get a quarter. I was cheated in my childhood. I mean, that's crazy. I don't think, I mean, that's definitely uh, outpacing inflation, isn't it? Over the past, you know, 40, 50 years? It's got to be. Inflation has come for even mythical beings. Uh, Axios reporting that the cost for fallen molars and incisors has shot up to $6.23 per tooth in uh, 2023. So $5.36 was last year's number. So far, $6.23 for this year, a 16% increase over 2022's figure. The new tabulation comes courtesy of Delta Dental, citing its original Tooth Fairy poll that surveyed 1,000 parents of kids between the ages of 6 and 12 last month. A regional breakdown shows that children in the South receive an average of $6.59 per tooth. That is a 14% increase over 2022. 
while Midwestern kids settle for the lowest payout at $5.63, though even that showed a $1.36 jump or 32% increase over last year. So how about that? In the Midwest, a 32% increase year over year from the Tooth Fairy and the Midwest still the lowest payout in the country. I guess we've got some catching up to do. So it is another one of those sure signs of spring. It's right around the corner. The Kiwanis Pancake Day event is coming up. And uh, joining us uh, from the uh, Finley Kiwanis, Sarah Clevidence and uh, Jeremy Strap. And I was talking about this uh, the other day. There are, uh, there are a handful of signs. You always know that spring is coming. I mean, you've got St. Patrick's Day right around the corner. Easter, obviously, uh, is coming. Girl Scout cookie deliveries. I know yeah, that, you know, we've got uh, the uh, uh, Park District uh, Maple Sugar and Day is right around the corner. Uh, we were talking about that the other day. And then there's Pancake Day. There's so pancake day. <laughs> you know that spring uh, is coming. And this is uh, a tradition 65th annual pancake day this year. 65. That's a lot of pancakes. That's a lot of pancakes. And uh, so talk a little bit about, first of all, give us all of the uh, details on the event. It is next Saturday, right? It is next Saturday, absolutely, from uh, 7 to 1 in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. And uh, it is at fin- Finley uh, High School in the cafeteria, as we've had it the last several years. It's mm-hmm. been quite a, quite a tradition to have it there. But uh, yeah. it's it's a big, big event for uh, not only Finley Kiwanis, but the, the community of Finley. And uh, we, we really appreciate the support we've had from the community over the years yeah uh so the uh, details are do we need to get tickets in advance you can get them at the door right you can get them in advance you can get them at the door they're available right now at uh, aaa heavenly pizza and smarty pants finley you can also get them online at smarty pants website okay and uh, the cost is the cost right now is seven dollars for adults and six for seniors and children 12 and under but that'll go up by a dollar each day of okay so another reason to get your good uh, idea to plan in advance you know you want pancakes absolutely so why hesitate (laughs) and uh uh, and it's all you can eat while all you're you there. Can eat. Yeah, so pancakes, sausage. If you want to hang around the entire day, you, you can. Please could. do. The yeah, entire... there's going to be a lot of fun things to do. We've got a kid zone this year, a 50-50 uh, a drawing. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to mention because it's more than just the, uh, the pancakes. Right. That's uh, right. Got other things uh, happening for people to enjoy. Absolutely. That's so come, right. stay a while, eat a lot of pancakes. And. Yeah. This is the biggest fundraiser for the Kiwanis? Well, we also do a purse bingo in the summer, which I, I think may have actually outpaced Pancake Day. <laughs> yeah, uh, but yeah. this is our longest tradition yeah. and probably one of the most fun days we have as a club. Mm-hmm. And all of the money we raise goes right back out into the community with things like the Brooklocker Park at Little Red Schoolhouse, the Kiwanis Closets that we have in all of the elementary schools in Hancock County. We've yeah. been giving away in chroma glasses. I, I was going to yeah. say, uh, talk a little bit about what the funds are, are used for, kind yeah. of on yeah, the, one, one of the best one of the best projects that we do, one of the most I think one of the, the most popular ones is the uh, the Kiwanis closets, and and we have uh, in in every elementary uh, uh, school in the county we have these closets where we stock uh, children's clothing, you know, pants and underwear and that kind of thing, undergarments. So these children, you know, if there's an accident at school, they have a place they can just grab some brand new uh, mm-hmm. clothes, and 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 it just it's it, it changes their day. At every school in yeah. the county, at every elementary, elementary. school in the county, yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is terrific. Yeah, you mentioned yeah. uh, some of the other things that uh, Kiwanis Club uh, yeah, supports. The, the Brooklocker Park out at the Little Red Schoolhouse was our 100th anniversary gift to the community. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we continue to maintain that. Um, and and this is an event that also, like you said, not just a big uh, event for the Kiwanis Club, but for the entire community because there are a lot of community members who get involved. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, we've got a lot of uh, different uh, different uh, backgrounds for, in our Kiwanis organization. We've got bankers. We've got you know, right sitting right with me, we've got Hancock County's favorite uh, librarian, Sarah, <laughs> and uh, we've got we've got uh, city councilmen. We've got uh, we've got uh, just a variety of of, uh, of of community members that this is this is this there important uh, part of their week important important part of their day yeah it, it yeah, really comes together absolutely uh, the uh, entire community so 65th annual uh, Kiwanis pancake day it is a week from next saturday and uh, again as you mentioned uh, tickets are available now right they are available now 
And uh, again, let's mention where folks can get those and uh, get more information. Sure, you can get uh, tickets from AAA, from Heavenly Pizza, and from Smarty Pants Finley, either in their store or on their website, or of course, from your favorite Kiwanian. And uh, also more information on the uh, website. Yeah, absolutely, right? more information on the website. And and we can't we can't you know forget our our sponsors. This is re- really the backbone of what uh, this day is all about, and 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 how we can we can have the the best event available. Yeah. Um, and by the way, on the website, not just uh, information on the uh, Pancake Day event, but uh, your other fundraisers and. Becoming a Kiwanis member, always welcome. Absolutely. We meet every week uh, on Wednesday at St. Mark's in the dock, uh, and it's just, it's just a fun meeting. We've got a great uh, group of uh, Kiwanians, and everyone is welcome to join us. We've got a link up on our webpage for more information. As we said, it's always a flipping good time, the Kiwanis Pancake Day event coming up next Saturday. And again, uh, Sarah Clevidence, Jeremy Strap, thanks very much for dropping by. We appreciate it. Thank you. It. Spring is here. And that will finish up our podcast for today. Thanks again to all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning. And remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each and every day on the program at our webpage, that, of course, goodmornings.net. Coming up tomorrow on the program, a new bank rate survey finds 75% of Americans are relying on their tax refund to improve or maintain their overall financial situation. But... Nearly 7 in 10 of those have at least one concern about that refund weighing on their mind. We'll break down the numbers and what they mean. So until tomorrow morning, that is Good Mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. We'll catch you back here tomorrow.